We're so glad that you found this Peak City message today. Our prayer is that during our time together, you're able to discover Jesus and are encouraged to follow him fearlessly. Lord Almighty. Jeez, God is more than able. God is more than able, man. Who, who are we to deny what God can do? Um, shoo, 41 people baptized last Sunday. Record attendance in our church's history. Uh, just insane things happening, man. We celebrate it. We celebrate it. I could, um, I could stand up here for hours and just share story after story with you. You know, there was a, there was a time in our church's history uh, when I asked the question, are we going to make it? Right? Pandemic, all the chaos that ensued, and I just didn't know, man, like, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? And then I see a Sunday like last Sunday, and, man, like, who am I to deny what the Lord can do? God is more than able. And I see stories come out of last Sunday, and I'm like, I mean, I, I could just share them over and over to you. I could stand here for an entire service and just tell you story after story that came through our baptistry last weekend. Uh, we had a, um, I, I, can't, I can't not share a few of them with you. We, we had a girl come through who I remember when she first started coming to our church several months ago. She said, I'm, I'm considering faith, and I really want to find a church that can help me in my journey. And she said, and, and, and she's connected to a lot of people in our city who are in really, really desperate circumstances and, and really, really um, hard life circumstances. And she said, her words were, um, I'm looking for a church where I can grow in my faith and where I can bring girls straight off the pole to church and they'll be accepted and loved and not condemned and like and and she got baptized last Sunday and this is her home church now that's it the very last woman that got baptized last Sunday we had them lined up some of y'all some of y'all were savage too by the way some of y'all came up to me uh last uh, Monday and Tuesday I got messages from a few uh, a a few of y'all and y'all like hey um great job baptizing people the church is awesome next time get somebody else to help you because we could tell you were tired by the end of it I'm like, look, don't be monitoring my energy levels while we're baptizing 41 people. My elbow was hurting. My knee was hurting. But um, the very last one that got baptized, I have to share this with you. Um, uh, Taylor Warren, our executive pastor, had them lined up and was kind of sending them to me. Once, once one to get baptized, he'd send another one. The very last one to get baptized, he, uh, he, he looked at her and he said, um, he said, are you ready to end this party? You're the last one to get baptized. You ready to end this party? And she looked at him with tears in her eyes and said, I'm just thankful I got invited to this party. I'm like, if that ain't heaven, that's the, that's the thing we will all say in heaven. I'm just thankful I got invited to this party. What God is doing here is so powerful. And, and the question I ask myself now is not, are we going to make it? The question God puts deep in my heart is, how far are we going to take it? How far are we going to take it? How, how many people in our city do we feel like need to understand the love of Jesus? How many people in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace, in your family, do you, are, are you willing to do whatever it takes to reach and whatever it takes to get them into the family? It's not, are we going to make it? It's how far are we going to take it? And I think we're just scratching the surface. We're just scratching the surface of what God can do through us. And so, man, thank you, thank you, thank you for helping uh, build such a beautiful church. And um, we're going to just keep going. All right? We're going to keep going. After last Sunday, um, and, and, and it's not just last Sunday. Like we said it last Sunday. Like every Sunday at Peak City is like Easter Sunday. We haven't had a Sunday in over two years where someone hasn't committed their life to start following Jesus. That's an insane statistic. I've never seen anything like that. But with all these people starting to follow Jesus, with all of this excitement, with all these people getting baptized, and, and, and everyone saying, yep, I'm ready to follow Jesus, it be, the, the next logical question is, okay then, what does it actually mean to follow Jesus? What does it actually look like 
to follow Jesus. And so this week and the next few weeks, we're going to take time for those who are skeptical of faith, those who are new to faith, those who've been in church all their lives, and we're going to rally around together what it actually looks like, what it really means to follow Jesus. Now, here's the deal. Here's why this is so important, okay? Because the word follow does not mean to us today the same thing as it meant to those who Jesus commanded and called to follow. The words have changed a bit. Okay, the meanings are a little different. If you find yourself in my shoes and a little bit older than me, then you know that the lingo of the times, the vernacular of the youths is changing rapidly. And so, you know, dads in the room, you might hear a a young adult in our church, see somebody walk in and you might overhear someone say, oh man, look at that drip. And all the dads in the, in the church are like, where's the leaky faucet? Where's the roof dripping? And like, nah, man, they're talking about the shoes. They're just talking about the fit. It's like, the words change, man. Like, it used to mean one thing. It means a different thing now. And this word, follow, okay, this word means something very different to us now than it meant to Jesus and his disciples 2,000 years ago. When we see the word follow, the reason the graphic even looks like this is because our 21st century context around the word follow is social media. When you hear follow, you think about the accounts that you follow. And you follow all kinds of different accounts and people on social media for all kinds of different reasons, right? Like some of y'all follow people just to be entertained and that's good, man. Like I've got a guy that I follow who does the best Donald Trump and Joe Biden impersonations. He's an equal opportunity offender. (laughs) And every time it gets posted, I'm like, here we go again. Let's go. You know, I've told you before, my favorite accounts is called nature is metal and it's all about animals eating other animals. And I can't stop watching. (laughs) You say it's sick. I call it the circle of life, man. It's just, it's just nature. I, you know, and, and, and then, you know, there's some people you follow because you like them, because you want to support them, because you, you want to observe their life and kind of keep up with them. But here's the thing. You know this. You know this. There are some people that you follow, and you don't even like them. There's a reason that Facebook and Instagram came up with the mute button. Mute. You can follow someone and mute them. That's how savage this is. You can make them think you like them. You can make them think that you're following them, but really you don't want to hear anything they have to say. You follow people for all kinds of, see, when we see this word, we think, here it is, distant observation. I will follow someone, and that means I'm going to distantly observe their life. I'm going to see what's important to them. I'm going to keep up with the kids. I'm going to see the funny thing. But that person that I follow is not going to ask anything of me, and there's not really much commitment. I it, even if you're not a social media person, even if you're, you know, you, you, you just follow a news story, what do you do? You distantly observe what is happening. Follow today is a distant observation. And, and I'm telling you right now, what Jesus meant when he said, follow me, was not distant observation. When a, when a Jewish man or woman in the first century would hear a rabbi or a spiritual teacher or or some guru say, follow me, it was not an invitation to distant observation. It was an invitation to close imitation. If you're going to follow a rabbi, if you're going to follow a spiritual teacher, it was a commitment to closely 
Imitate them. To get as close as you possibly can so you can see how they walk, how they talk, how they think, how they act, how they respond, so that when the rabbi leaves, when the spiritual guru is gone, and you walk in the room, it's as if they were there. It's as if you have imitated them and you know them so well, you know what they would do next. That, that's the, Jesus says, follow me. And he says it all over the Bible. Gosh, I, I could read you 20 different passages where he says, follow me, follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. If you really want to know me, follow me. Leave your life behind and follow me. It was always an invitation to close imitation. That's why, that's why. That's why the disciples abandoned their careers to follow That's why Jesus would say to a grieving family who just lost a loved one, let the dead bury their own. You come follow me. It was never an invitation to distant observation. I believe this is the the primary problem with the 21st century American church is that when we say follow, it means distant observation. And most Christians are sitting on the back row or sometimes even the front row distantly observing Jesus. When he actually called us to closely imitate him, to get as close as we possibly can to him so that we can know how he would live, behave, and believe in every circumstance. And we got all these people giving their lives to Jesus. We got all these people coming from all over. I just had somebody in the lobby in first service who said that they uh, came here, they, they live in upstate New York, and they were coming to hang out for a bit, and they came to church, and, and, and they walked away, and they're like, all right, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be watching online every Sunday now. We're in. We got people coming from all over. But what does it mean to follow? How do we get close? And this is the tricky part. This is the tricky part. How do we get as close as we possibly can to someone who is not here anymore? I know all the spiritual platitudes, and it's not platitudes, it's it's truth. God's spirit is with us, and we worship. He's here. He, He is here in the room. But the disciples had it easier. He was actually there in the flesh. So they, when Jesus says, follow me, they're like, cool. Leave the career behind. Start following Jesus, right? How do we follow Jesus when he is not here in the flesh? And so to answer that question, for the next three weeks, we're going to live in one passage. Okay, Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47. If you have a Bible, that is where we're going to be for three straight Sundays. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47. And the reason we're living there is that it is the description of what the earliest followers of Jesus who did not have him in the flesh, how they followed What did their lives look like? So we're just going to trace it back and study how they followed Jesus without having him in the flesh. And the reason I love this verse so much, the reason that we're going to live in it, live in it, live in it. And we're going to do more with this. You need to understand, like the the, the teaching we're in right now, what we're going to do for the the next few weeks together, we got bigger plans for it, man. This thing's going to become a book that we end up giving to every single person that raises their hand to say yes to Jesus moving forward. So that every time someone says yes to Jesus, they can start following that day. They know what to do, okay? But the reason I love 41, Acts 2, 41 through 47, is that the start and the finish of it, it smells like Peak City. It smells like Peak City. Look at how verse 41 puts it. After Peter preached this amazing message of of the gospel, it says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I know we ain't added 3,000 in a day yet, but we about to. Who am I to deny what the Lord can do? God is more than able. He's the same as he was back then, so why couldn't he add 3,000 to our number in a day? We'll figure it out. And then it ends with the same verse, or with the same thing. Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. That's a peak city verse if I ever heard one. 
I just believe if we'll live out the verses in between and actually commit ourselves to following Jesus and actually do what they did, I think we'll continue to see this as the story of this church. I think we'll continue to see people giving their lives to Jesus every day and not just giving their life to Jesus and then walking away from him a week later, actually following him, having their lives transformed. And so that's where we're heading today already. <clears throat> Thank you, Jacob. You're always with me. <clears throat> I want to warn you, though. I want to warn you. <clears throat> Last service, I walked away from it. Brittany was in the back with me. And we were kind of just recapping the service. And I said, man, I feel like I preached it too angry last service. I feel like I preached it too intensely last service. Um, I don't think I did, but I felt like it. <clears throat> and I just want you to know, uh, <clears throat> the message that God has given me today, it is not sexy. <laughs> it ain't fun. <clears throat> I wish I had like the... Hey, Easter just happened. We got, I mean, come on, we got more people today than we had like three weeks ago. Attendance is booming. I wish I had like the nice, soft, like cuddle you message. But if you want to follow Jesus, Jesus said the narrow is, the, the, the path is narrow and few find it. And he says, you got to pick up your cross and follow me. So I'm just going to bring you a really hard message. And I believe that that's actually what you want. The more people I talk to, the more, the more Christians and those who are far from God, the more I hear that people are sick of churches delivering cotton candy messages. And so I'm just going to tell you what it is, and I ain't coming down on you. I ain't going to thump you with the Bible and say I'm better than you. I'm in it with you. What I'm preaching to you today, I'm learning and struggling with with you. Okay? But I am not going to uh, preach a light message to you today. All right? Are you ready? Some of y'all are like, I don't know if I'm ready. And I get that. The reason, I want, you, I want you to hear this online. The reason I always ask you in every message, are you ready? Because God will not, you cannot hear God's voice and he will not move in your life if you're not in a place to receive it. It ain't so I can just like, hey, hype me up so I can preach. It's to open your soul up to what God can do. I, I, I can preach my face off, but if your hearts are closed, it'll fall on, on dry land and it will not take root. So when I say, are you ready? It's not for me, it's for you. Acts chapter 2. I want to read the whole passage to you, 41 through 47, and then we're going to live in seven words today. Seven words from this passage. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together together. And they had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is what the earliest disciples of Jesus did. To follow a man that was not with them in the flesh. And the seven words I want to live in with you today come in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Everybody say the word devoted. I always hate when 50% of you do that, but I know why. Because 50% of you are like, I hate when preachers tell me to say something. 
Everybody say the word devoted. Devoted, devoted, devoted. Devoted, the actual Greek word behind it is proskarteros. Proskarteros means to strongly move towards, to firmly move towards, to steadfastly move towards. The, the, the modern uh, hip translation of that would be can't stop, won't stop. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They could not stop. They would not stop devoting themselves. to the. It's like the way you are at a Mexican restaurant when the queso's there, but you got more queso than chips. And the waiter's like, you want more chips? And you know you shouldn't. <laughs> but you're like, yeah, I want more chips. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm devoted, man. You, your boy's still on Whole30, and I just want some carbs, man. I want a chip in my life. <laughs> I'm dreaming about food. Devoted. You're in. You, you won't miss it. You keep coming back to it over and over and over. Devoted proskarteros to strongly move towards, to firmly and steadfastly move towards. You can't stop. You won't stop. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Now, here's the deal. If you are new to faith, new to the Bible, that phrase, the apostles' teachings, for them what that meant was not necessarily the Bible because the, the New Testament was not fully written and formed yet. The New Testament actually is filled with what the apostles' teachings would be. Right? The apostles' teachings, that, 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 that word apostle, was reserved at this point in church history for someone who had first-hand experience with Jesus. It was someone who actually walked with him and talked with him and saw how he responded and saw how he behaved, saw what he believed. They had first-hand experience. And so what they did, if they wanted to stay close to Jesus, what they did is they got close to the guys who actually knew him who actually spent time with him. This is why I want you to hear this. When it comes to other religions and other faiths, you need to study their origin stories. The origin story, don't believe the, the crap cultural narrative that the Bible has been changed by people over thousands of years and it's to fit man's agenda. This is filled with eyewitness testimony of people who actually spent time with Jesus. That's why, come on, come on, come on. That's why men and women have sacrificed their lives for hundreds of years to get this thing in your hands. I know it, I know it ain't popular in culture. I know, I know Bill Maher says what Bill Maher is going to say about it. Go study it. Go research it for yourself. This is, when, when it says they devote themselves to the apostles' teachings, it was to devote themselves to the guys who say, oh, yeah, yeah. I remember when Jesus came across that. I was there with him. And here's what he said. It's a historically reliable account of what actually happened. Again, they're trying to get as close as they can to someone who isn't there. How do you get as close as you can to someone who isn't there? You devote yourself to the apostles' teachings. You come back to it over and over and over. And the earliest followers of Jesus would open it up. they read, they discuss, they talk. Day after day after day after day, proskarteros, Strongly moving towards, firmly moving towards, steadfastly moving towards, can't stop, won't stop. I will never stop coming back to it, they said. Now, if you're skeptical of faith, if you're skeptical of the Bible, I'm, I get it. I'm a big skeptic myself of most things. And grow up in church and grow up reading the Bible, I came into it with a lot of skepticism. I'm still skeptical of most things, right? I'm skeptical of the government. I think if you're not skeptical of the government, I'm skeptical of you. Let me send you some conspiracy theory documentaries. <laughs> but as a skeptic, you got to understand, I know what you're thinking. Especially in Acts 2, 
If you read before this, all of Acts 2 is just a big sermon from Peter, one of the guys who spent firsthand account with Jesus, firsthand time with him. And he preached this big sermon that is the full gospel story. It's the full gospel explanation. It's you were dead in your sins. God created the world, but we messed it up. And Jesus came along as God in the flesh to redeem it. And the way he redeemed it is he died on a cross for your sins. He resurrected from the dead so that you'd never have to fear death. And now he partners with you and I to redeem this broken world. It's the full gospel story in Acts chapter 2. And if you're skeptic, you go, okay, they heard it. They responded to it. They gave their lives to it. Why did they keep going back to it over and over and over? They heard it. They saw the movie. <laughs> they know how it ends. They know the deal. Why did they keep coming back to me? It's like, when you've seen a movie, you don't need to watch it again. <laughs> when, I was a, when I was in college, I was really dumb in a lot of ways, but one of the things that I did that was really dumb that was just a waste of time was I wanted to collect um, my top 25 movies of all time on DVD. Now, if you don't know what a DVD is, it is a, um, it's a disc that is like a CD, which you don't know what that is either. That's like a record. Oh, I, there is no smooth way to move forward in this. It's a way to watch a movie. I wanted to get my top 25 movies on DVD, and, and I collected them, man. I got them all. I got, you know, Gladiator and Braveheart and Fight Club and Zoolander. That's why Zoolander's in my top 25. Don't you mess with some blue steel, man. I got them all. You know how many times I've watched any of those DVDs since I bought them? Zero. <laughs> I don't need to. Once I, once I think, oh, man, I should watch that movie. There's like 20 other movies I haven't seen that I want to watch. You don't go back and re-listen to and re-watch things you already know. What? Why would they devote themselves to something that they had already heard? <laughs> Why would they come back to it day after day after day if they already knew it? And the reason is that they knew something about themselves that I feel like it would do us a, a, a service to embrace as well. You see, they knew that, um, you, you gotta understand, at this time in Acts chapter 2, um, the believers were all from a Jewish background. The gospel had not yet been shared with people outside of the Jewish faith. And so they knew coming into this that they had been raised um, in one way of thinking to believe and behave in a certain way, to believe and behave that their good works have to earn God's favor, that they have to make sacrifices every time they sin in, 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 in order to be in good standing with God, that, that they have to follow every letter of the law or else God will condemn them. I mean, that there was a certain belief and behavior that they had learned, and it took them years to end up like they were. It took them years, let's just real talk about it, it took them years to get as messed up as they were, Okay. And they knew that if it took them years to get as messed up as they were, that it was going to take years for God to unravel and redeem and restore that mess. That hearing about the truth of God was actually not enough one time. That it was going to take longer. It was going to take longer. And I came here today to tell you that your heart and your soul and your essence, the things that make you you, um, you operate the same way. See, when you were born... Okay, when you were born, go with me in my little clay analogy here. This was your essence, your heart, your mind, your soul, how you operate. This was you. And man, it was so pure. It was so good. It was exactly like God wanted it to be. Uh, but then you started experiencing life. <laughs> and you were born into a broken world, broken systems. You yourself are, 
have a sinful nature inside of you that knows the right thing to do and does the opposite, knows the wrong thing to do and wants to do it anyways. Okay? This is you. And, but you start living life, right? You get to, you know, maybe some of your, some, for some of you all, the first traumatic thing you experience, for many of you, is that your parents got divorced. Okay? And so all of a sudden this new thing gets attached into your life. And you learn about love and relationships and dating. And there's some things embedded in you. And, and, and man, you're still like, you, you still got a lot intact of what God created in you and who he wants you to be. But there's this new thing that you got to deal with. Okay? There's this new, new reality, and it, it's, it's deeply embedded in you. You saw your mom and your dad fight nonstop. You saw the abuse. You, you went through going to, to two different homes and two different Christmases and two different things, you, and, and it's, it's a part of you now. Then, then you get to, like, middle school. Lord, pray for every middle school student in this church. You get to middle school, and you learn conditional acceptance and conditional love. Maybe it came from home. Maybe you actually had a parent or a step-parent who liked you more when you did the right thing when you made the grades, when you were good on the field, but then when you disappointed them, you could tell they distanced themselves. And you saw the same thing at school. You saw that your teachers, your friends, they loved you when you performed well, but when you didn't, they'd back away. And so it just becomes a, it becomes a part of you. You get to high school and you get exposed to sex for the first time. You get exposed to pornography for the first time. You, you, you see how other people talk about sex. You hear things in the locker room and you, and, and you hear things that other girls are talking about and, you, and, and, and it just gets deeply embedded in you. And again, it's like it just shows its face every once in a while, right? It's like only occasionally does this part of you come out and, and, and you see that it, there's something in you that's just not how God intended it to be. You get to college and you start thinking careers and you start understanding how money works and you start seeing that everybody is out to get mine. Everybody is out to protect themselves and, 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 and you see that the world operates, the, the system you were born into operates from a place of greed and selfishness. Every 21st century Western American, is in, they inherit by default a worldview that is selfish. It's in you, and you can't deny it. It's just a part of you now. And then you get past adulthood, or past college, you get into adulthood, you start working. And man, adulting is hard. Some of y'all that are in your early 20s, you come to me and you're like, man, this is hard. I'm like, I know, man, paying bills is hard. But it, it, it puts in you this deep insecurity, like what's gonna happen if I don't, if I don't have enough, how am I going to provide for myself? How, how am I going to pro provide for my family? And there's, a, there's an insecurity in you. And, and then you get into religion and politics. And gosh, man, you, depending on what news station you listen to and what friends you're around, there's a worldview that gets embedded inside of you. And then you start making mistakes. You screw up a marriage. You screw up some kids. You, you, you do something shady at work and get caught, right? And, and you have this guilt and this shame inside of you. And, and, and then, you know what, some, for some of us, something horrible gets done to us. And we live with abuse. And we live with the pain and the trauma of it all. And it just gets deeply embedded into who you are. And I don't care if you grew up in church or not. By the time you live a little bit of life, this thing that started off as so pure, right, so innocent, that, that God created and that God loves the world you live in, man, it'll get you looking all messed up. And, and you've got this concoction of capitalism and greed and self-centeredness and the idea that the world revolves around you. <laughs> and, and, and it all adds up to the mess that is you. 
And every one of us in the room deal with this. And here's the truth that the early followers of Jesus knew and you need to adopt today. It took years for you to end up like this. It took years for your perspectives and your worldviews to get hammered inside of you like they are. It took years to get like this. But then Jesus, right? Like Jesus comes along and, and all of a sudden you hear this message. Some of you, it was last week, right? On Easter, you heard it. God loves you. He forgives you. He knows everything about you and he loves you all the same. If you'll say yes to following him, your sins are wiped away. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sin. It's good news, isn't it? It's incredible. And man, here's the deal. You say yes to Jesus, your eternity is secure forever. Your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. When he sees you, he don't see you, he sees Jesus. You are a loved son and a loved daughter. There's nothing that can be done to change that. You are what the Bible calls justified. When God sees you, he actually don't see the mess that you have become. Your eternal standing is secure. You are justified. You are seen as pure in his eyes. You are justified. But here's the truth. I know this ain't sexy. I know this ain't fun. But we just got to talk about it. You are justified in a moment when you say yes to Jesus. But you are not what the Bible says is sanctified. You are saved, you are forgiven, and you're still ratchet. I thought about making that the title of my sermon, Saved but Ratchet. You're saved by God, you're forgiven, you're redeemed, and you're still a mess. And it, you're, 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 you're redeemed. God loves you. There's nothing you do to take it away. And, gosh, you still think, act, and behave in a way that is not how you were meant to and created to believe, behave, and act. It took years for you to get like this. And I came here today to tell you it's going to take years for you to work yourself and to allow God's spirit to work in you out of that mess. There are some things that God will change in your life overnight the minute you give your life to him? Absolutely, I've seen it. Most of it, though, is hardwired in you. And it's going to take time. It's going to take years. And this is why, this is why, this is why the, the earliest followers of Jesus, they devoted themselves to this. They came back to it day after day after day because hearing it once was not enough. I said this to our team in the, in, the, in, the, in the hallway back between services. The devil has absolutely no problem with you getting baptized. He has absolutely every problem in the world with helping you get rewired. He, he, he does not want you to do what they did. See, what they did is that every day they would come back and they would devote themselves to the apostles' teachings. They would say, okay, Jesus teaches that I am not conditionally loved. I am unconditionally loved. And they would read it. And they would absorb it into their lives. And it wasn't enough to learn it once they had to live it out. They had to go experience the rejection of man and be reminded in the moment, no, 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 God approved of me. It's okay. And it took time. It took time. They still felt insecure. They still felt like when their friends unfollowed them, they felt like there was something wrong with them. You know? Then they come back to the Bible. Again, they come back to it. They come back to the teachings of the apostles. And they learn about forgiveness. And it's not just forgiveness like, you know, I'm forgiven, it's actually not just I'm forgiven, I forgive others. 
Jesus says, if you're really forgiven, it'll come out by the way you forgive others. If you don't forgive others, you actually might not actually be forgiven. You might not have received it. And they learn it and they read it and they work it into their life over time. And it takes time. It takes time for them to get to a place where when they, when they are wronged, they respond in mercy and love and not revenge. It takes, it takes time. Then they read the book of Job. And Job, I mean, gosh, I had someone last week text me and say, Petey, my life is a mess. I'm going through hell. What do I do? I say, you read the book of Job. And you see that he went through hell and back. And he was angry with God. He was honest with God. And you can be honest with God when your life is hell. And God uses that honesty to form you, to shape you, and to grow you. And it takes time. You go back and read the book of Genesis. Go back again. And all of a sudden you learn not just how the world was created. Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. It's more so, Genesis is more so about how the world was messed up. A lot of people think Genesis is like a scientific textbook that we go, yeah, I mean, there's some stuff in there about how we should understand the world was created. That's like two chapters. It's like 48 chapters of how we screwed it up. And you learn, you go, oh man, I've got some of the same patterns in my life. I've got some of the same pride and the same sin in my life. God, can you work it out of me? And you, you, you go to James and you realize that your words all of a sudden, your words matter. You can't, let, you, you can't have a loose tongue. you got to build people up, not tear them down. And you work these things into your heart. And it, it, it takes time. It takes years. It don't happen overnight. I've been following Jesus for about 20 years now. And I can tell you there has been no more transformative practice in my life than coming up under the teachings of the Bible, than devoting myself to it. And when I don't, I can feel it. But I can see over time that, man, if this is how God wants me, if he wants me to be pure and holy, the more I get God's word in me, the more I start to look like it. I still got some issues. They still going to rear their ugly head at times. I'm still going to be selfish at times. I'm still going to respond in anger at times. I'm still going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time and think the wrong thing. But man, for the most part, I'm, I'm getting better. I'm get, it takes time though. It took years for you to get into the mess you're in. And yes, Jesus will save you in an instant. But the process of sanctification, the process of becoming more like the version of, you, of yourself that God created, it's going to take time. And you can't do it if you don't devote yourself to the apostles' teachings. If you don't consume yourself and obsess yourself and devote yourself to the Bible, God will not be able to do all that he wants to do in your life. Now, collective deep breath. I'm going to go in harder now, okay? I'm going to go for more. Can I keep going? Yeah. All right, I'm going to take this sermon. I'm going to drive it up into your garage and pull into your driveway, and it's going to get uncomfortable. I'm going to raid your pantry for a little bit, okay? This is not fun. This is not sexy, but i got to say it to you. Let's just real talk about this. No one is surprised by a preacher saying, you should read the Bible more. But let's just be real about it. The numbers don't lie. The numbers don't lie. Barna Research Group studies church patterns and trends at an in-depth level. And the most recent research shows that somewhere between 10 and 20% of Christians read the Bible. I ain't talking about the world. I'm talking about la familia, us. We love each other. We sing. We're in. Less than 20% of us actually read the Bible. We don't do it. We know that this is, if we want to get, come on, if we're going to follow Jesus, and follow doesn't mean distant observation. It means get as close as you possibly can. 
And we know that this is, the, this is the primary way God has spoken. It's the primary account we have of the life and teachings of Jesus. We have to read this to get there. But we're not. And don't let me come down on you like it's all on you and I'm this holier than thou man who's reading the Bible all the time. No, 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 real talk. I read the Bible and 90% of the time it's so that I have something to say to you on Sunday. 90% of the time I'm reading and yeah, I'm reading for me and I'm also thinking about you. I'm thinking about what I'm going to say on Sunday because I run out of words. I struggle to read the Bible at times. I struggle. I'm right there with you. And we all just got to like just real talk and call it what it is. We are in a very rare era in the history of humanity when we have these beautiful things. No other generation in history has had to deal with the smartphone, the iPhone, the Android, all, whatever, if you're a blue text or a green text, whatever you are. No one has had to deal with it. And let's just call it what it is. We spend so much time here, and we spend very little to no time here. You want to know what, <laughs> you want to know what devotion looks like? You want to know what proscartero really looks like? To be firmly towards, steadfast towards, can't stop, won't stop? Go uh, and check your screen time. Settings. Where you at? Where you at? Here you are. Screen time. Oh, Lord Almighty. They'll tell you how many times you picked it up. They'll, how, they'll tell you how many sessions you spent on there. They'll tell you your average time per week. You want to know what Proscartero looks like? Go look at your screen time. Go look at your screen time. I, I think it's the new number everyone's going to be embarrassed about. You know, a generation or two ago, nobody wanted to talk about their weight. I think now nobody's going to want to talk about their screen time because it's embarrassing. And I'm right there with you in it. Let's call it what it is. We have... We have traded the scroll of the Lamb of God for the scroll of TikTok. It ain't a lack of time. Your screen time tells the story. We are devoted and consumed to this. We are addicted to this. And it's coming at the expense of the primary discipline that has created followers of Jesus for 2,000 years. I ain't talking like this is some like, this is a really super spiritual thing that you should try. It's worked for a lot of people. No, like, how do people follow Jesus? It's just this. Like, I mean, that's why I've, like, when God gave me this message to preach, I'm like, man, God, this is amazing. We had all these people baptized, and then next week you're going to have me come back and just tell them, read the Bible. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And, and here's the deal. Because I know we're not, because I know that this is what it takes to follow Jesus, and because I don't believe you want to, cotton candy message that doesn't actually challenge you. I believe God wants us to take severe action to correct this. I think we're supposed to do something big as a church family to correct this error in our hearts, this error in our spiritual development. You know, Jesus said, when your left eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. When your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Do something extreme. And so we're going to do something extreme. Um, back in the 1800s, there was a Scottish preacher named Robert Murray McShane. And um, he actually died at a very young age. He died at the age of 31. And um, while he was pastoring his church, um, he saw, back in the early 1800s, it's so fascinating, he saw a congregation that was distracted, not consumed with and, and devoted to the apostles' teachings like they ought to be. And, and he saw that most of them didn't even know where to start. And they didn't even have the iPhone. Look how much further ahead we are than them. And so what he, what he did 
is he developed a whole church Bible reading calendar. And his effort in it, I mean, he, he, he knew when you read his, his work, he knew that there was the temptation for this to become religious, self-righteous. He knew that the temptation was for his church to just check off the boxes and read it mindlessly. But he said, here's the deal. I want my church to be able to read the same things together week after week so that when they go out for coffee, so that when they gather together, we're all on the same page. We're all reading the same thing. We're all asking the same questions and finding the same answers. We're all going through this together. And, and he said, I want a, a, a way for new believers when they come into the family of God, they don't have to wonder what they should do next. They know where to start. They go, all right, I'm ready to follow Jesus. What do I do? Well, start reading the Bible with us, and we're all right here at this part of the Bible. And ask your questions. And, 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 and this way, anyone could jump in at any time and be a part of this thing. So what I want to share with you, what God's been leading me in, and what I think he's challenging us to do, is that we are going to institute as part of the spiritual rhythms of Peak City moving forward a two-year modified version of old Robert Murray McShane's Bible reading plan, okay? The Peak City Bible reading calendar. And I know it's old school, baby. <laughs> it's, it's as old school as you can get. Um, we've got printed versions of it for you if you want to take it home. We've got an online version. I'll, we're going to send you an email today with the, the passages we're reading this week. And we're going to work on ways that we can make it more convenient for you. But I kind of like that it's not convenient for you. I kind of like that we just got to like figure it out. And, 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 and let me tell you this, it's going to be clunky. It's two chapters a day, and, and that means that together, every two years, we'll have read the entire Bible together. Many of you have never read the Bible, and you say, I've always wanted to read it at some point. Maybe you're skeptical of faith, and, and this is the best way to get your questions answered. Read it for yourself. Ask your own questions. Every two years, we'll have read through the entire Bible together. We've done this thing together, but it's going to be clunky. I, 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 this is not a like Apple product rollout where everything's perfect and awesome and you can get your iPhone today. This is going to be clunky. For instance, we're not starting this Bible reading calendar um, at the beginning in Genesis like it's January 1. We're going to start it in April, on April 16th at that point of the plan in year two of the plan. And it's going to start us in the middle of Ecclesiastes where Solomon, King Solomon is saying, meaningless, meaningless, my life is meaningless. <laughs> and some of y'all are gonna read it and go, mine is too. And, and then I think we're in 1 Timothy, and there, Paul's talking about how all these different people groups should interact with one another. You know, men and women, slaves and masters, a different culture, a different time, and it's gonna cause questions. It's gonna be clunky, man. The best way I can describe it is it's like, it's like when you go to the gym for the first time and you don't know how to use the machines. You ever seen that person that thinks it's a leg curl, but it's a bicep curl, and they got their face where someone else's butt just was? It's going to be clunky. But I believe it's worth it. I believe that as you continue to go in this discipline, you continue to get in this rhythm, and I don't know how we're going to do it. We're going to figure it out along the way. I just think God is going to continue to grow us. I think he's going to continue to shape us. I think that it's, it's what's required of us to become the people that God has created us to be. We have to, we have to. Our, 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 our church can't continue, come on. We cannot continue to be a church where people come to hear one guy speak about one passage per week and then go home and, and, and live the rest of our lives as if nothing has changed. You need to be connected to Jesus, not to Petey. You need to be connected to the Lord and through his word, not what we do on a Sunday. This whole thing is a starting point for you. 
It's the beginning of your journey. The rest of it is between you and God and in community, we read this thing together and God transform you. Because I just believe, I believe, I believe, I believe what we sang earlier is true. I don't think it's Christian karaoke, what my man Joe was singing earlier. Joe, will you take us back there? I want you to sing it just like you did before, man. Take us to that part and then build us back up. I've come a long way. Yep, that part. You know. I've seen how you were. There's so much goodness and grace. So much. much more than I deserve. Because yep. I know who I am. You know who you are? You messed up. And I, I can't too. stay where I'm at. We've come this far by faith. Right there. We can't turn back. And I just can't turn here comes, here comes, here comes, back. Here comes. He's not done with me yet. That's it right there. Stand up, stand up, sing that like you believe it. He's not done with me yet. He's not. There's so much more to the story. karaoke I believe God is not done with you whatever whatever you're struggling with whatever you were tempted with whatever you did man God is not done with you he's doing something in your heart he was doing something in your soul there is more to your story there's more but come on come on come on come on well that's exciting how the heck you gonna get there if you don't get God's word inside of you how are you going to become all that God wants you to become if you neglect his word? See, when you neglect his word, you got to hear me on this. When you neglect his word, when, when you do what we've all been guilty of for a while, we are denying what the Lord can do in our lives. We are denying the power of God to work through the testimony of Christians for thousands of years to change us and transform us. And I just believe God's not even close to done with Peak City. I think he's not even close to done with it. I think there's so much more to our story, but it ain't gonna happen if we don't go here. And so all we're gonna do in service is we're just gonna commit ourselves to be devoted to the Bible. I wanna give you the chance to make that decision between you and God. It ain't got nothing to do with nobody but you and him. So every head bowed, every eye closed in the room. If you're a skeptic, you're invited to join us. No better way to have your questions answered than to do the research on your own. If you're a new believer, we're giving you a path to follow, a path to take to join us. If, you're, if you've been in this for a long time, our church needs seasoned believers who will walk with other people through the Bible. I'm telling you, get on board with it. And so if you're ready to say, Jesus, I'm sorry for the mess I've made of this. I'm sorry for neglecting your word, but I commit to no longer be guilty of that. I will devote myself to your word. I will work through the clunkiness. I will do whatever it takes, Jesus, to get your word deep into my heart. If you want to commit yourself to be devoted to the Bible right here, right now, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three as a private decision between you and God. One, two, three.
Hands up all over the room. Come on, man. Keep those hands up in the air. This is a day that I believe will change the course of our church. Let's pray and ask God to do it. Jesus, every hand raised right now is calling on you. Give us the confidence, the courage, the conviction, and the commitment. Jesus, we need your spirit to do this inside of us. Help us to put down our stupid phones, all of our other responsibilities, and just know that there's nothing more important than you, Jesus. There's nothing more important than you. Jesus, do this work inside of us and let this be something that changes our church forever. Jesus, we love you, we trust you, and it's in your powerful name that we pray together by saying, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this Peak City message today. If you'd like more information on Peak City Church or if you'd like to give to the mission here in Colorado Springs, then check us out at peakcityco.com.